Hey everyone, thanks for joining me on another episode of Romcom Weekly. Today I'm joined by my friend Justin, and we are talking about the movie Ten Things I Hate About You. How's it going, Justin? Good. How are you guys? Glad to be here. Thanks thank for having you. me. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so a few broad strokes about the movie. The release date was in March of 1999. It's directed by Gil Junger. Younger? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. The movie is inspired by Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. It stars Julia Stiles, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Heath Ledger, Larissa Olenek, Andrew Keegan, and David Krumholtz. The IMDb.com summary is, a pretty popular teenager can't go out on a date until her ill-tempered older sister does. The IMDb.com rating is a 7.3, and it made approximately $53 million at the box office. So... With that said, Justin, I'd like to start with you. What would you rate this movie on a scale from one to 10? So this movie actually has a lot of nostalgia for me. Like you said, it came out in 1999. So I probably would have rated it higher back then, but upon rewatching it now in my you know mid thirties, I definitely felt it wasn't as good of a movie. So I gave it pretty close to the IMDb score. Uh, I gave it a 7.2. <laughs> okay. All right. So similar to you, this movie has a lot of nostalgia for me. And upon the rewatch, I found myself just smiling ear to ear. So I rated this a whole point higher than you. I did 8.2. I'm not sure why I did a 0.2 versus like a 0.3 or 4 or whatever, but it just seemed appropriate to be an 8.2. Right. Well, they both arrived at point two, so it might be something there. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Let's get into what we like about the movie. Do you want to kick that off? Uh, sure. I took some notes here, and I remember when I first watched this movie, I had a huge crush on Larissa Olenek, who plays Bianca, mm -hmm. and you know she did Secret World of Alex Mack, so I've always liked her. Upon second viewing, we'll get into this, I'm sure, later, but, you know, her character's pretty spoiled and whatnot. So a little bit less of a like there. Mm -hmm. Alice and Janie, pre-West Wing, CJ Craig. Yes, Alice pretty, and Janie. Pretty great to see. Uh, I think West Wing came out the same year, actually, but later in the year. Yes. Young Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who I guess you wouldn't have expected to turn into what he turned into today, where he's like an A-list movie star. Some of the things specifically I liked in that movie, I liked the characters I liked. Every scene with Michael. Joey and I thought Cat was a good portrayal too. Mm -hmm. How about you? Yeah, same. I really like the main cast and the supporting cast. I think you can't talk about this movie without stating how awesome this cast is. They've made names for themselves after this movie. And I think the reason we are a lot of people, the culture goes back to this movie is because this is when we were first introduced to Julia Stiles and Heath Ledger and Larissa Olenek, like you said, she's kind of in the zeitgeist already because she was Alex Mack on Nickelodeon. But this was Julia Stiles's first feature film, I think. And Heath Ledger being an Australian, this was his first introduction to American audiences. So, mm -hmm. and Alice and Janney, yes. I, I had to go back. Her, her character's name is actually Miss Perky. I mean, yeah, the cast is kind of what makes this movie so solid. And rewatching it as a woman in my mid thirties now, it's a definitely an obviously a different perspective from when this movie came out in 99, which I was, I think I was in eighth grade or ninth grade, you know, life happens in between. So I'm not totally, I'm not familiar with, with Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. So this was kind of it for me. I don't know, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not cultured enough, I guess, to know Shakespeare's, you know, his writing. But upon rewatch, Cat, she's incredibly feminist. I don't think I identified it as feminist when I first saw the movie, but when you rewatch it, you're like, wow, she's kind of a badass. She what marches to the beat of her own drum. I like that both her and her sister are strong female protagonists, even though we both everyone recognizes that Bianca is a spoiled brat, but I think her story kind of evolves. The late 90s, early aughts is this really weird and special time these teen movies, it fit into my own adolescence. So I think that's why this movie means so much to me. Was there actually more movies, teen movies during that time? Or is that just 
us being in that age group or that demographic during that time that makes it feel that way? Yeah, I think there were some other teen movies like She's All That, I think came out the same year with Mm -hmm. Freddie Prince Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook. But I think this movie has just a stronger cast. There's a, it's more of an ensemble, whereas she's all that is mostly about two people in high school. I think this movie has a little bit more depth. There's a variety of conflict. There's like different plots mm. within the movie. So I don't know. It keeps you kind of entertained throughout, I guess. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's entertaining. I actually would disagree a little bit, and I'm sure you'll get into things that we didn't mm-hmm. like, but like I felt some of the backgrounds and whatnot of the characters weren't really fleshed out. Like Cameron, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, you know, you kind of know he's an army kid that's moved around and that's that's 100% of the background right. you get on him. That's it. I would say out of the main cast, he's probably the least fleshed out and has the least overall development throughout the entire movie. Um, everyone else kind of, I feel like, grows more in a certain way, whereas he kind of just has this goal set out and he wants to date Bianca and then he eventually is able to get what he wants yeah no that's a really good point Uh, he literally is the least fleshed out character we don't even know what officially what grade he's in I think by right no I've I've wondered that because they had the prom scene at the end so you have to assume he's a senior but he looks like he's like eight years younger than all right right (laughs) I think it's just their powers of deduction you're like oh he must be a senior but literally that's all we know about him we don't know where he's coming from, yeah. his family dynamic. Meanwhile, we get to know everybody else's family, dy- like, weirdly enough. So, yeah, uh, yeah, we can talk about what we don't like about the movie. Did you have anything you wanted to add on to that? I mean, that was the main thing, mm. the main issue, I guess, I had, that it did seem, I mean, it's a 90s movie, it's a rom-com, so, but it was, like, a little surface level. Um, I was rooting for the characters, but not, I guess, similar to other rom-coms where you're like, I really hope they get together. You're kind of like, okay, it's just going about it and you're following along with the plot rather than really being, at least mm-hmm. for me, heavily invested in the will they, won't they kind of stereotype of rom-coms that I'm used to. Yeah, I think this is definitely geared towards, like the audience was definitely teenagers. Just the, the major conflict <laughs> in the movie is just, you know, it's, it's an adolescence kind of conflict. There's not a lot of, and I don't know. I mean, I can argue both ways, actually. But before we get into that, I wanted to share what I don't like about the movie. Upon mm-hmm. rewatch, and I'm not sure if you caught this, but I think this was a trend in movies that came out around this time when female friendships just fall to the side whenever there's a boy involved. So specifically, I'm talking about Bianca and Chastity, which is uh, Gabrielle Union's character. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they're supposedly best friends. But the second Joey comes in the picture and that friendship has entirely deteriorated over a boy. Right. They're not even friends friends. anymore. I mean, is that, do you feel like that's too extreme of a caricature of of high school or like popularity? And I don't know, they're supposed to be these vain, shallow characters, girls, at least at the beginning. And I guess the juxtaposition would be that chastity stays in in that mindset, whereas Bianca grows or whatever. As a girl growing up, or do you feel like that's that's like high school life? I mean, yeah, when you're so there's they're sophomores, so they're 15, 16 years old, which is a hard age to be, no doubt. But I don't identify with competing over the same boy and then just totally disregarding the friendship prior to the boy. So that's I don't love that depiction of friendships. I think exaggerated I think it's a like you said it's a caricature of the high school experience maybe for some women or some girls I feel like if this movie was redone today I would hope at least that this little storyline would evolve with the times what do you think would uh be done differently I think I don't know there there, maybe there has to be some other kind of internal friendship conflict that's not surrounding a boy I think that they would have to overcome boy you know they like they both like Joey but Maybe it's like they both realize Joey's an idiot and a moron. So it's like, oh, okay, let's let's bond over the the shared fact that we now both can acknowledge that this guy is ridiculous. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, totally. I, I totally get you. It definitely seems like, okay, are these girls just mm-hmm. there as a conflict 
for these male counterparts and whatnot and just their their best friend friendship she's at her house in the movie a bunch of times you know like and all of a sudden they're just not even for a good reason they just aren't yeah, friends anymore it's, it's... it's not even like one backstab the other really it's just like okay this thing happened and now they're just not yeah, friends. yeah again i don't think that there's enough conflict to make that actually happen <laughs> and at the end of the day bianca doesn't even like joey so i would hope that if they ever remake yeah. this which i don't know if they need to that that would be resolved a little bit better um let's move on to themes did you kind of take away any themes from this teen rom-com <laughs> not in particular mm. i actually have this in my notes and it's just blank <laughs> i must have just skipped over this <laughs> you just what did you do you have um did you have any takeaways or themes that you you felt like yeah you i don't know if there i think theme might be a strong word but there are some patterns that i noticed throughout the movie i wrote down here that sometimes the hottest guy is the least interesting guy you realize that like the whole time you want something in this case it's joey if you're bianca you want joey you you're mm -hmm. doing everything you can to get joey's attention but then once you get it it's like I don't actually want this. It's not as good as I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And I think for mm. teenagers, this might happen a lot more because you kind of are just chasing something because everyone else is chasing it, you know? Do you think that's uh, conflicting in a way? Because Bianca is sort of the female Joey in a way that she is at least starts out as this shallow character that for some reason everyone covets and has this mm -hmm. reputation. And... That's actually something that I was like, why does Cameron even like her? It's just just because she's cute. Because everything that's happened mm -hmm. in between, I guess, has shown that she wasn't really that good of a friend to him. I guess they did hang out and you don't see a lot of the background because it takes place. I guess the entire movie would take place over the course of the year since he's a new student in the fall. And then they go to prom which I guess is then the school year. So I guess they've been hanging out for the entire school year and I've disputed <laughs> my point. That's actually one of my WTF moments, but I wanna, we can hold, we can get back to that. I think that Bianca is definitely the female version of Joey. We, as the audience only get to see Bianca's evolution. And I think Joey, maybe it's this whole trope of, you know, teenage boys will be teenage boys. They probably won't mature and learn certain things until later on in life or maybe joey is just he's supposed to be this vapid model who's just a pretty boy and has no other substance to him yeah do you think after the end of this uh school year getting punched in the face and being embarrassed that way that like changes mm. him? that's like his turning point in life. that's an interesting question i haven't really put that much thought into the character <laughs> development of joey so, but maybe Maybe I can I can see him going to like maybe he doesn't even go to school maybe he goes to a community college or something to pursue modeling in the town they grew up in. Well, he seems like he's a pretty successful model. Like maybe he doesn't need to do any of that. He's just True. full on modeling and he goes into acting and also, or something. All these kids that go to Padua High School are just incredibly privileged. They like like the high school they go to is looks like a castle. So it's, yeah, it's a real high school. It's called, it's called Stadium High School. Because I, I was like, wow, this stadium is gigantic. Is this real? And it was like, oh, of course, a school called Stadium High School would have the gigantic stadium. And Can you castle. imagine going to that <laughs> high school? You must feel like, I don't know, do you just automatically feel entitled? And yeah, um, that was actually, yeah, they're all probably more well to do. I don't know. I assume it's a public school, but then Bianca and Kat's dad is obviously, mm. he's a doctor. He's on his own, but he has a gigantic house as well. Yeah, that house, house is well. beautiful, beautiful house. Um, and yeah, I think this movie definitely pokes fun at the privilege in very small ways. But before we get into that, there's another kind of pattern that I wanted to highlight is this concept of Kat, uh, Julia Stiles' character, Heath Ledger's character. So obviously, you know, he's duping her but at the end, they both fall for each other. But Kat says this poem, like, the 10 things I hate about you. It was interesting for me now an adult to be like, she recognizes all of these flaws in Patrick, but still loves him, I guess. They never say the word love, but they agree to move forward with some kind of relationship. And mm -hmm. in high school, I don't know if I was 
I didn't, I didn't really date in high school, but I, I don't know if I would have been that evolved to be like, there's, for example, 10 things I hate about this guy, but I still really, really want to be with this guy. Hmm. Well, I, th I feel like her character's fleshed out enough where you feel like, okay, she's definitely mature for her age and has a lot of conviction and does things and is a smart individual. So it does seem like it would be in character for her to recognize those things and not to hold a complete grudge when she recognizes he does have good yeah. qualities or whatnot. Yeah, I, I appreciated that bit. I think they ended it right when a real relationship would happen and then you get to know each other's flaws and faults and all that. But typical rom-com, it ends right when mm. they get together. So yeah, those are my little patterns that I noticed or just small little themes. Um, do you have any particular favorite scenes? We were talking about Joey earlier and pretty much any modeling scene with Joey made me laugh the most. So there's the scene where he's asking Bianca, he's like, which photo do you like? And one, he's wearing the black shirt and one, he's wearing uh -huh. a white photo. And he's like, how do I look? And she's like, pensive. And he's like, damn, I was going for thoughtful. And he's pretty disappointed. And they're the same photo, of course. And then there's a similar kind of thing that happens later with the they're at the party later, Bogie Lowenstein's party, and he's doing the poses. And he's like, you see what I did there? And she's just, that's when she's realizing how, again, being reinforced, how vapid and like self-absorbed he is. Because yes, the whole joke is they're the same pose, which I guess is a modeling trope revisited. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Blue Steel. <laughs> yeah. Joey's definitely the butt of all the jokes of this movie. I kind of have a more broad idea of a favorite scene. So Bogey Lowenstein's party, I think that chunk of time in the movie is my favorite scene for a few reasons. I think it's just climactic is not the right word, but we get to see all these characters vibe together and be together. I think a lot of realizations mm -hmm. happen for the characters at this party too. Like Kat's table dance, which growing up you're like, oh my gosh, Julia Stiles can dance and she's kind of a badass. Yeah, that's how she got, uh, so you think you... Um, save uh, the last the dance, called? yeah. Save the last dance? They stopped that one scene, And apparently. yeah, she's like, oh, this girl can get down. I sound so lame. But yeah, like she can, she has dancing chops. Another part of the party is that, like you mentioned, this is when also Bianca realizes that Joey is just straight up lame. And she's like, wait, did I... I don't think she realizes, did I make a mistake in choosing Joey? But it's like, oh he's just not what I thought he was going to be. And that, that is a pretty big evolution mm -hmm. for Bianca. Yeah. I think it's also interesting because you're introduced to Bianca, and this is actually another one of my favorite mini lines where she and Chastity are talking, and she's like, Chastity's asking her about being yes. underwhelmed and overwhelmed, and if you can be just whelmed, uh, that makes me laugh Same. every time. It's like she is Joey in that sense, and I guess that shows her character development and over the course where she's realizing the narcissism i guess i love that Joey. line i know you can be overwhelmed and you can be underwhelmed but can you ever just be whelmed and then bianca says i think you can in europe there's so many yeah. random one-liners in this movie that just still make me laugh there's also so speaking of one-liners michael who is david crumble's character he's so endearing yes he tries so hard to fit in at this party and there's this one bit where he enters the room dancing and he approaches this girl and he goes, I think about Violet herself. <laughs> I literally laughed out loud by myself watching this movie last night because who says that? Like, it's just so out there. Yeah. You kind of feel for him in the thing because he's just trying so extra. He's trying so hard. He, he definitely steals pretty much every scene he's in. Like the scenes he interacts with Joey, mm -hmm. there's scenes in the cafeteria where they're in line and they're talking to Patrick. It's some scene where just like he says something, he like quotes Shakespeare or something to Patrick and Patrick's right. like, don't say that in front of me too. And then Cameron basically mimics Michael and says something similar and he's, and then Patrick walks away and Michael's yeah. just like, don't say that shit to him. He's, <laughs> he's very endearing. One other yeah. scene that, always makes me laugh is during prom Bianca punches Joey in the face and then Joey's first line is shit mm -hmm. Bianca I'm shooting a no spray ad tomorrow it's like this scene <laughs> where you're like rooting for Bianca you're like yes you know her, her punching him and she gets to express her anger and then the only thing Joey thinks about is his modeling gig the next day it was pretty perfect yeah 
No, Joey, um, I think he plays, he's one of my favorite characters in the movie because he plays his role mm. so perfectly. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I think they just, everyone in this movie plays it really well. All right, so Justin, let's move on to our WTF moments. So these are moments in the movie that we think have big plot holes or are the most unrealistic moments. So do you want to kick that off with one or two? Yeah, I actually have a huge list uh, and they're pretty nitpicky and I understand that movies require some suspension of disbelief but uh, or belief rather. But um, my first one actually has to do with the general Bianca, you know, the reputation they have. And it seems like it's pretty well known that everyone in the school knows she's out of reach and that they have this reputation that you're not allowed to date her. But she's only a sophomore in the school, so then there's a whole time frame aspect with this. This took place over the course of the year and at the very beginning of the new school year as her sophomore year, they already know her reputation. So were people have people been coveting her since like middle school or since her freshman year of high school? And I just right. uh, didn't really think about that in the past, but this past time watching it, it definitely was a little bit suspect. <laughs> yeah, so there's, I mean, I don't know. You go to school with well, like the same kids in middle school and maybe eventually in high school. But my experience was there were like, like different middle schools ladder up to the same high school. So it is strange that it's kind of the reputation that neither of the sisters are allowed to date. It doesn't make sense that how everyone knows this. Right. And it only seemed to have happened after, I guess, their mother, it's implied that she left. The dad only kind of instituted this rule after the mother left. So at what point in their lives did the mother leave? Because we know that Kat dated Joey her freshman year, which I guess was three years prior, which happened after the mother left. So within these three years, it became this well-known thing that everybody knows you're not allowed to date these sisters and Kat's reputation and Bianca's reputation and whatnot. Yeah, that's a good point. And kind of going off that, my one of my WTF moments is that Joey wants to sleep with Bianca. And we also come to realize that he had slept with Kat too. So it's <laughs> kind of just dirty to me that this teenage boy wants to claim like I don't know what the word is like that he's proud that he slept with both sisters yeah and Bianca it's just that's kind of dirty yeah yeah I don't know if that's his intention just to to be with both sisters or Bianca just happens to be the new hot coveted individual Mm. and it happens to be Kat's sister as well yeah but yeah it does that's like I guess that's an underlying like what the fuck moment yeah I think I alluded to this earlier, but why does Michael so willing to help out Cameron? He's this mm-hmm. new kid, and he's immediately loyal to him. I think there's some aspects of plot where, you know, he's kind of outcasted from his own group of the MBA, future MBAs, and he's kind of a loner, and he kind of is like knows everybody in the school but doesn't have his own friends, so maybe he latches on to the new kid, but like... They're like instant BFFs throughout this movie. And he goes out of his way to help him, you know, do all these things. Just date this girl. Like, what's... I thought that was interesting. (laughs) Yeah, because Michael doesn't have any other friends. Like, you mentioned the NBA group, but then there was that whole bit how he was ousted from the group because there was a rumor that he buys his IZODs from an outlet mall. (laughs) But, like, that's the only context we get about his circle of friends at school. So, yeah. What are his motivations? Why is he being so nice to this stranger? But maybe to your point, it's just like he gets to start over. He gets this one guy who knows nothing about the school. Right. And he kind of gets to like mold this new kid. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I I guess I can understand aspects of it. And that's pretty minor plot hole in the scheme of things. But right, right. Um, it just like if you think about it, you're like, why is this kid so nice to him? <laughs> Yeah, it is a little bizarre. Like if someone, I remember, so I was actually, I moved when I was 12 in the middle of the school year to a new school. And looking back, that was really tough. I mean, it was tough at the moment, but looking back, moving in the middle of the school year, I think was the Mm. most challenging part because, you know, everyone was already kind of in their groove and in ICOM. But I remember like there was this one girl who came up to me and was just like, hi, you're new. I'm so-and-so. And I did not expect anybody to like acknowledge me. But the fact that this one girl like introduced herself and having the experience of being the new kid, mm-hmm. it makes you kind of like empathize with other kids. For sure. Who, who come. That's understandable. 
did you become best friends with her? Is she now your best friend? No, no. (laughs) We were friends like in middle school and I think parts of high school, but I never like forgot that she was like so earnest and so nice to me. But yeah, our, our paths kind of diverged in the middle of high school. Um, I have one. Patrick says that he can't be seen at Club Skunk, but when he gets to Club Skunk, the bartender knows his name. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said about Patrick. How how are these kids getting into clubs? I think we understand that Club Skunk might be like a teen club. Maybe something happened at Club Skunk before, so he can't be seen there. Mm. He's a bartender. Bartenders sometimes work at multiple places. He just knows that scene. Um, which actually relates to one of my uh, WTF moments with that scene and the other scene. And they're just, <laughs> all the characters just get into these bars. And I don't know yeah. if the 90s, <laughs> I don't recall because we weren't of age then, but like they, they're in bars often <laughs> in this movie and no one's checking their IDs and they're clearly high schoolers. And I think even we assume, I guess, Patrick's drinking beer in some scenes, like they're at a bar and he's playing pool and he's drinking. And did they not have age limits then? Well, it's also like that. But also like when I was 15, 16, I never even conceived the idea of like, oh, I'm just going to go into a bar and it's just totally normal for me to be in here. Right. Yeah, it was so far from, (laughs) from where I was in my high school experience. So yeah, big plot hole there. Yeah, and it doesn't have to happen once. It happens like yeah. two, two or three times, maybe. Yeah, like, yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, let's talk about the scene when Kat flashes her soccer coach. I feel like Kat would definitely be facing consequences for flashing a teacher and her soccer coach. It's just inappropriate. I don't think uh, she would get away with that today. Maybe, but or it's so awkward <laughs> that... Um... They're just like, let's not talk about it, and he doesn't report it, maybe? I don't know. He would probably have to report something. At least they do a good job of the coach looking away and being super awkward when that happens. Right, right. Speaking of that scene, though, she flashes the coach to distract the coach from to let um, Patrick get out the window. I always was like, when I watched it this past time, I was like, why is he climbing out the window to get out? when you could distract him and he could just walk out the door. Like, what difference is there with doing that? And on top of that, he goes out the window and he's literally staring at her. And maybe this is editing or whatnot. And he sees her flash him. And then later, multiple times, he's like, how did you do it? How did you get me out of uh, detention? I had no idea. Do you think he was playing dumb? Or do you think, like, are we led to believe that he, like, literally didn't see the flashing moment? So... I interpret it as he, the first time he, he's like, what did you do? And she just kind of passes over. She's like, oh, I don't know. I just, I distracted him or something. I don't remember what she says. I charmed him with my wits. The second time, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the second time he's like, I guess he's, it, it's implied he found out and he's like, it's not every day someone is willing to flash a coach. So I don't know if he's being like cheeky there because he knew already, but it sounds like he found out and that's how he knows. That's just, yeah. I mean, that's more minor. It's just like a continuity kind of plot hole. Totally, totally. It's not consistent. But speaking of Patrick, he's so charming throughout this courting of Cat. But they starting off, you know, the movie is like trying to portray him as this like mysterious badass, like high schooler that took a year off of school and no one knows why. Mm-hmm. And to exemplify that, they try to show he's hostile. But why is he so hostile? Like the first time... Cameron walks up to him he drills a hole through his book his French book because you actually see him reading it later when he's tutoring but then he just warms up so quickly to them when they're asking him to do these things so it's just like it's very you know he's like smoking cigarettes and in science class he's like playing with the Bunsen burner and being like you know like a rebel but then he's actually a super nice guy I just thought that was a little bit like okay we have to show he's this hostile like uh, badass individual. So what can we do? Let's have him drill the hole in the book and do these things. It just was like, like they snapped their fingers and all of a sudden. Right, right. That. It was just very convenient. Yeah. One of my moments is the random plot between Michael and Mandela. So I think the character of Mandela is just a super, super side character. It didn't make sense to me that Michael needed to have a romantic interest I don't know what happens in the actual play of Taming of the Shrew. Maybe Mandela actually has more depth. But in the movie, I just didn't 
need that. It just seemed like an unnecessary add-on. Like, oh, it's convenient. Let's have these two side characters that are best friends to the main characters just get together like each other as well. Yeah, it was superfluous. Like, maybe it was just convenient so that they could give a nod to Shakespeare, you know, where she dresses up and he gets to dress up at prom. But other than that, it really, it fell flat for me. I wish, I don't know. So the actress, her name is Susan May Pratt, who is also in Center Stage, the movie Center Stage, which I have huge affection for. But she plays a very different character in that one. So I think these movies came out maybe within a year of each other. Yeah. So yeah, and those are actually the only two movies I've seen her in. Yeah, I think me as well. Center Stage is the favorite movie of one of our close friends. (laughs) Shout out to John Lee. Shout out, John Lee. (laughs) I rewatched it recently. It's a little bit questionable, but it's a nostalgic movie for me, just like this one is. But I guess with the character of Mandela, I wish they had beefed her up a little bit more, you know, and not just like threw her a bone and gave her a romantic, lazy story. She seems like she doesn't even really need to be in the movie. I guess she grounds Kat and like, she's not a loner. She has friends, but like, I feel like you could have told the same story and had cut her character completely and it would have been the same story roughly. (laughs) Like, it wouldn't have changed much. Right. So yeah, it would have been great if they could have fleshed her out a little bit more rather than her just being this, I love Shakespeare nod. Yeah. She was like, we're involved. Like, okay. That's a little bizarre. That's a little, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the original script had her like more fleshed out and they cut her down. Yeah. I guess we'll never know because I don't really ever plan on reading Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. I guess, I don't know. Someone can let us know about that one. (laughs) I know, so you and I had talked about this before prior to recording, but the whole black panty bit. Oh, Right. Yeah. Is that I had to I was going to ask you like right. uh, during this. I was like it was that a thing where so Kat, they go through Cat's room total invasion of privacy to find Cameron and Bianca are trying to find what she likes and things about her and Bianca holds up those black panties and is like, "Yeah, she has black panties. Does that help?" And he's like, "What does that even mean?" And I also thought that <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, because we were teenagers when this movie came out and, you know, probably were wondering like, oh, what kind of underwear do girls wear? But I can attest to the fact that I don't think black panties mean anything other than they like the color black, not necessarily meaning that they want to have sex one day. Is it is it seen as like more risque or like sexier? Like the black is like I could kind of see that maybe I don't but I don't even know if that's a thing. I mean, I don't know either. It wasn't for me as a a teenager. But for me, the panties were mostly about like fabric, not about color. Like I think if you were worn wearing like satin underwear, then that might mean something more sexier than just like a pair of cotton underwear. Yeah, okay. I could see that. Like if it was like satin or lace or something like that. It's like, okay, it's like pretty kind of thing. Right, right. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely was like, oh, I've asked other people that like this movie and they were like, yeah, I I actually have a friend that was like, they told me that she saw this when she was a teen and a young teen and she grew up thinking like, that's what they meant. Like, if you wear black panties, you want to mm. have sex. Like, so this formed her opinion on black panties. Right. That's, <laughs> that's why I think like when this movie came out, we were of a certain age where, I don't know, maybe we weren't even doing our own shopping at that time. Right. So like our parents are the ones who are buying our clothes because we're not making money at. But okay. You say that, but like as an adult, Still doesn't mean anything to oh, me. I don't know. As no. an adult, does that mean something to you now? So I don't. I don't even know if that's. It just we were less in the know then than now, but it still doesn't mean anything. It still doesn't mean anything. But like when you hear something at that age, you're like, oh, maybe it's true. You yeah. Know, if you're if you're a guy hearing this and you're like, oh, girls like black panties or girls who wear black panties want to have sex one day. Yeah. You might like be on the lookout if a girl's right. wearing black no, panties I, or something. I wonder how many of my own ideals and thoughts have been formed from random rom-coms and movies. Right. I'm sure like rom-coms form people's, they do for sure form people's opinions of what romance should be in itself, which is a whole nother topic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're t- So you're talking about they go to Patrick in the bar and... Mm-hmm. 
speaking of him and being, I, you know, an invasion of privacy and such, I felt like he was a little bit of a stalker. <laughs> this dude's like a stalker. He would know where Cat uh, is all the time. He would just show up right. randomly at the music shop, at the bookstore. It's not like she had, you know, like Instagram or Twitter to tell her mm-hmm. like where her location was during that period of time. But he would just always show up. So... I don't know, he felt a little bit stalkerish to me. Did you feel that way when we were teenagers? No, no right. not at all. It was only <laughs> until my most recent viewing was I was like, oh, that's that's kind of creepy that he just knows where she is. Like, he was told where she would be when he goes to the concert, and he was suggested he goes. So that's like, okay, maybe someone's telling her, but, like, someone's stalking her then. <laughs> you know, what's kind of funny slash scary is that I actually didn't even notice the stalking you know, like even upon the most recent rewatch, I was just like, oh, Heath Ledger, he's just so charming. Like, I still didn't catch that. But now that you bring it up, absolutely, it's creepy. He knows exactly where she like, that one bit where he's waiting by her car when she comes out of the record store, and she crashes Joey's car purposefully, like that whole bit where he's just standing waiting for her out the record. How does he know that she's there? He does say, I was across the street and I saw your car. And so I recognize. So that is one where he actually explains. So way to go with the the worst example, Michelle. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, but there are a myriad of instances where you do not get that explanation and he just shows up. So um, your point is still very valid. (laughs) But a continuation of that scene is that the whole bit where Kat hits her car into Joey's car, like... Yes, we, you know, she's purposefully being difficult, but I can't imagine anybody in real life purposefully hitting another person's car with their own car. Well, that's how much of an independent rebel, I guess, to show her character. I guess. But that at least they addressed it. I think, like, right after that scene, they addressed the father being like, my insurance can't pay for your hormones or whatever he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A PMS, I think, yeah. Yeah. And then Kat drives this, like, clunker of a car, mm-hmm. which, I don't know, would she have, like, a nicer car? Or is that, like, part of her image? I guess that reinforces her image. And... Yeah, for me, it was more like it. the car in- enforces her image that she's just so alternative and, like, doesn't conform to the mainstream kind of thing. Her car, I mean, speaking of her car, this is a minor, this is, again, like, continuity or definitely a nitpick. Mm-hmm. Does she not lock the doors and windows on oh, her car? Right. <laughs> and doesn't it rain all the time in Seattle? So there's also that. But like at the end, Patrick leaves a guitar in her car and the window in the door is just unlocked and she just shows up in the parking lot after a day at school and there's a guitar in there. So yeah, that's a minor nitpick, but who, who leaves their windows and doors unlocked all the time? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So I have a follow-up question, not about the car, but the guitar itself. So how much money do we actually think Joey gives Patrick? Um, in total? Yeah. What is your, like, guesstimate? Huh. I feel like we could calculate it based on the amount of dates that we're on. Yeah, well, so I guess the reason I ask is because, like, how much is that guitar? I think upon, like, random research on the movie, that guitar costs, like, I might be totally wrong, by the way. It could be like $700 or like up to $1,200. So it's it's a nice gesture that Patrick uses the money that he got to gift Kat the guitar. But I walked away being like, wow, how much money was that guitar that he actually ended up paying for? Hmm. Yeah, I didn't really think of this, but I believe I read something that was like that version of the Strat is actually only a few hundred dollars. Oh, Okay. Like 300, like within the the earshot of... The prom money. The prom money was like a few hundred dollars, like $300 maybe. And then he had at least $50 a date. So he probably had at least $100 from that. So he probably had like four, maybe even... And there might have been... I assume there was more dates than what we saw, but... Right. So maybe like $500. So even if it was $700, he probably would be real close to that. So Yeah. But that's definitely a... A good question because if it, if it did cost way more because they can for sure cost in the thousands then is patrick also rich <laughs> i don't i don't think he's gifting his high school girlfriend thousand dollar gifts well at least i hope i mean i don't know well he did say maybe a drum set and a <laughs> <laughs> it's a very privileged neighborhood it seems so 
I know the reputation of Seattle in general is definitely upper middle class, predominantly white. I don't mm-hmm. know. I assume in the 90s also, Microsoft was very prevalent. That neighborhood seems like a really good neighborhood. So Yeah. So let's move on to the ending. I know we just talked about it, about the guitar and the car, but like, what are your thoughts on the ending? Are you happy with it? Could it have ended differently for you? Yeah, I guess overall I'm happy with it. What about yourself? So agree. I'm happy with it. I kind of found myself wishing that we saw Bianca and Cameron actually sailing. I was like, oh, that would have been a nice scene to capture. Yeah. But, you know, that's just a small little thing. But we end with them on a happy note. I don't know. Like, I guess Kat and Patrick are the A A plot and Cameron and Bianca are the B plot. Yeah, I guess in the actual movie, they don't develop it as well as I think you kind of root for Kat and um, Patrick. Yeah. And I I just do love the scene where the band is playing on the roof of the high school. I thought that was a pretty cool way to end it. It's very dramatic. Yeah. And it just kind of further proves this glamour of the high school that they all went to, you know, like overlooking the water. It's just like, whose high school experience is that? I don't know. It's just (laughs) so wild to me. Yeah, they do a good job with the music and the music scenes and how they intertwine that within the, the movie. Yeah, the music, I could listen to the music of the soundtrack and just be taken back to the movie. There are some movies where, you know, sometimes the music isn't that notable or whatever, but I think there's so much about music within this movie. You know, Kat likes these, I don't know what they're called. Cameron actually has a word to describe the kind of music that Kat likes, like alt-feminist rock or something like that. Am I making that up? I I forget. No, that does sound, that sounds familiar. (laughs) Hopefully we're both not making it up, but... (laughs) Something something similar to that. Right. So I think there's, you know, a nod to that. We listen to the band. And there's that one bit, actually, where at prom, Patrick tells Kat, oh, I called in a favor. And her favorite band is all of a sudden playing on the stage. I was like, you know, going back to the WTF moments, I was like, what do you mean he called in a favor? What does that mean? He, he just is a, a guy that knows everyone, obviously. It just, that's kind of his reputation. Right? Uh, I just was like, okay, sure. Like, that doesn't happen. Can't just call in a favor and just, like, bring a random band onto your prom stage. And But also, so another note is that, sorry, now I'm just going all out of order. But I don't know, but my high school prom did not have a live band. I don't know, maybe these privileged high schoolers get live bands for their prom. Yeah, they have more money. Yeah. <laughs> That was something that called out to me when I was watching. I was like, this doesn't happen at prom. No one has live it band does at prom. It does in 90s rom-coms, teen yeah, rom-coms. You're right. Um, they all, they, 100, 100% of them do. Yeah. Okay, fine. So I'll just chalk it up to being a 90s rom-com trope. 90s rom-com slash super rich neighborhood, which we've there already you go. established. So you can, they can pay for it. Okay, I'm glad we addressed that. Between Cat. Bianca, Patrick, and Cameron, who would you say your favorite character is? Um, probably Kat. Kat had, I think, the most development throughout the movie. She's probably the A character, I mm-hmm. would say, or it felt like that, which is a testament to, I guess, her development. At the same time that she developed her character, she kind of is still who she is throughout the whole movie, and I like that about her and whatever message that kind of portrays it just felt like yeah she's pretty self-assured but she still is going through her own you know trials and tribulations of being a teen or being a woman and she maintains that I feel like throughout the movie but you know she's still you know more understanding and whatnot yeah I agree with you Kat actually is my favorite as well I think to your point I basically agree with everything you said but just to add on to it is that while she stays the same she actually like she softens a little bit, but it's not to say why I like her is that she softens, but I think she starts to realize like people can change and she's grown from this whole like, you know, senior year experience. She softens up with her dad, mostly because her dad moves forward with the decision to let her go to the college she wants to go to all the way across the country. But you kind of see her in this like really tender moment with her dad and she realizes, you know, that was a really hard That must have been really hard for her dad to make that decision. And she softens with her sister, Bianca, ultimately at the end, mostly also because Bianca is soft towards Kat. You know, like, thank you so much for coming to prom. It really meant a lot (laughs) to me. 
yeah, I think Kat at the end, she doesn't really compromise her her own character. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, she definitely does. I mean, they all grow in their own way. I think I kind of chuckled when you said Bianca is so thankful for Kat uh, coming to the prom because mm-hmm. I think Bianca and Cameron are both <laughs> pretty sucky characters and people. Right. They're both bratty and like entitled and all their motivations are generally selfish. Cameron, the entire plot of why he likes her is he just saw her kind of love at first sight kind of thing and he drags Michael into this and the only reason he wants to do anything is because he just likes this girl. Everything is selfish, even the way he approaches it. He gets mad at his friend because he doesn't get his way. He gets he gets annoyed at uh, Patrick when he doesn't get his way and arguably he's even more bratty than Bianca who's supposed to be the bratty character so to speak. I didn't really feel that way when I used to watch this movie, but I definitely noticed it as I'm older. And I'm like, whoa, camera, camera sucks. <laughs> I never noticed how self-involved he was until you're like, wait, he actually hasn't changed at all. Yeah. Yeah. He just ended up getting what he wanted. Right. Bianca is, you know, she does come around and she seems like she's grown and she's more thankful for her sister. And... There is a point where they go to the party in the middle of the movie where Kat's like, yeah, I'll go to the party for you because you're asking me. And they're so thankful in the house. They're like, oh, thank you, thank you. And they hug her even. And as soon as they get to the party, Bianca's like, don't touch me, don't talk to me. Right. And maybe that's like a high school, like now we're in public. But like, uh, it's pretty, pretty bratty moment right there. Yeah, agree. Bianca is bratty, but at the end, I think she redeems herself a little bit. Mm-hmm. For sure. She punches punches Joey, stands up for her sister and herself. Yeah, Patrick, I think, is just charming, so he's just likable in that sense. Very likable. So, I haven't seen a lot of Heath Ledger movies, to be honest, mm-hmm. but if this were the only movie that I'd ever seen with Heath Ledger in it, I don't know, he's, I mean, I keep saying this, and you've said this too, that he's just so charming, but like, just his smile, and I was like, I kind of wonder what his... I don't know where he'd be right now if he were still alive and what kind of roles he'd be doing because yeah it'd just be really interesting to see how his career would have played out yeah he has a big range looking back and i'm watching this i was like oh yeah he's just like of course cat would fall for him no he definitely portrays he makes it makes you root for him so they did a good job casting apparently i think it's this movie ashton kutcher and some other name person were the other people they were thinking about for his role yeah i read that too i don't think it would have been as as strong as it as it was yeah so do you think these characters stay together (laughs) definitely not neither of them they're too young it's just like uh, that's i don't know if that's cynical or whatnot but i guess more realistic i feel it's like they're so young they're both in high school Three of them are going to college. Kat's about to go to college. I don't know what Patrick's um, post-high school plan is, but he's not going to be where she is. So maybe they stay dating long distance for a little bit, but she would definitely move on. And then Cameron, I guess you're supposed to assume he's a senior since he went to prom. Right. And then Bianca's still in high school. So if Cameron goes to college, he won't be there. So that's definitely not happening. Right. Yeah, I don't think that they stay together either. I mean, yes, they're young, but also they just, so specifically Bianca and Cameron, like they just don't know anything about each other. (laughs) They, I think maybe they go sailing a few times. Maybe they live a few weeks into the summer and just like, yeah, this isn't, he's going to go off to college. So they just break up. And then Patrick and Kat, I have it in my mind that they probably have like a summer fling and she goes off to college yeah, I guess maybe just not knowing what Patrick's plans are, I I just don't believe that they stay together. I agree. I I think maybe at most they last a year each. At most, for sure, at most. At most. Like I could see them getting through, Cameron getting through his first year of school, holding on to like his, I don't know, first love or who knows if it's his first love or whatnot. Right. And them trying to work it out and they just agree to break up or whatnot. It's just for the best. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. So when I was watching this movie, so and I was reflecting on my own personal experience, I always wondered what it would have been like to be in high school with your sibling. 
so I have a younger brother, but my brother is more than four years younger than me. So we were never in school at the same time. But I'm watching Kat and Bianca have this conflict. And I always kind of daydreamed about having a sibling in school with me. And I wonder if that would have made my high school experience more enjoyable. Would it have made it more fun and maybe even easier? So I guess my question is, I know that you weren't in school with your brother who's older than you, but did you ever kind of have those thoughts or? Um, I don't know if I wished I was in school at the same time as my brother. I think both our brothers are six and a half years apart or so. Mm-hmm. Um, your brother is younger, my brother's older, but I guess in the sense of sometimes it's like, oh, if we were closer in age, we'd be able to relate more on that same, like you're going through the same thing at the same time or a similar thing at the same time right. and be closer to them. I don't think I ever really thought about like, oh, I wish I was in school at the same time as him. More so is like if we were closer, I guess that would be a byproduct of just being closer in age. Right. I wonder if friend groups would overlap much. Maybe not at school friendship groups, but maybe extracurriculars. Like if extracurriculars overlap, I could see friend groups overlapping then. I know some people that did go to the high school with their siblings, and usually that's kind of how they overlapped. Yeah. So in elementary school, I was actually at the same school with two of my cousins. And it was... My cousins and I, we lived down the street from each other. This is when I still lived in Chicago. So Mm -hmm. one cousin was one grade above me, and then the other cousin was two grades above me. But there was this weird thing, I think, in the public school system where there weren't enough kids to fill out a whole class. So they actually split classes. So when I was in second grade and my cousin was in third grade, we were physically in the same classroom. (laughs) And this happened for for my second grade, Uh, year and then again for my fifth grade year so I'm looking back and I mean there's so many thoughts that go through my head about this because if I had stayed in Chicago I think I ultimately would have had very very similar friends with my cousin who I grew up very close to as almost like my brother hmm that's really interesting yeah I bet in terms of liking boys and stuff it would probably have overlapped more, right? Because they're just around you more. If it's, Even if they were younger or older, it's right. just like those are the people that are kind of, you get to know over the course of time, especially in that period of life. I mean, I would even say, even though my brother's so much older, I know some of his friends, like his closest friends, I got to know pretty well. Mm-hmm. And he definitely had to look after me, <laughs> like bring me trick-or-treating or stuff like that. I know when he was like, probably in like middle school or even probably early high school he would go out and his friends trick-or-treating and I'd be like the little brother that had had to tag along that got to tag along and I you know I'd look up to him in that sense and there's definitely I'm sure your brother if he had the same teachers as you it's like you've already developed the reputation of who your family is so my teachers would be like they would know that I was my brother's little brother so there would be some Luckily, he was a good student, so I had a okay reputation. But... I don't know if our teach like I did. I don't know if I had a huge presence in high school enough for people <laughs> to for the teachers to be like six years later. Oh, you're Michelle's brother. Yeah, we had totally different experiences. My brother huh. ended up being like captain of his lacrosse team, so <sighs> that was not my my lane in high school at all. Huh. So it might have been. We're we're both boys. Uh, I grew up in a very not very many Asians in my uh, hometown, so maybe there's like there's only so many people with my last name. And, mm, so. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just I don't know. I just when I watch these movies where siblings are in the same school, my mind wanders to like the conflict that I probably would have had at that age and <laughs> what we would have fought about because I found that to be kind of somewhat relatable, you know. You can't expect sisters who go to the school together to be the exact same person. There's going to be similarities, but mostly probably differences. There's probably one sister who is, you know, trying to live up to the expectations of the other sister too. So Yeah. I wonder if that's part of Bianca's motivation to be more girly, so to speak, or right. be the way she is. Because she's like, I don't want to be like my older sister, mm-hmm. you know, because they do allude to the fact that 
she's like cat used to be really popular and then she just i don't know got bored of it or you know obviously there's things that happened but right um so she's like kind of taking her own path and own route to differentiate herself i think there's something to be said about that for sure it's like my sister is weird so um i'm not you know i don't want to be seen as weird so i'm going to do everything i can to be the most likable and try to get the hottest guy to date me right that's probably just a matter of it's the hottest guy in school yeah yeah for sure were were there in your high school or your experiences was there a guy or girl that was like the girl and guy that all the guys or girls wanted to date um probably in high school there probably was that but for me i remember in elementary school the boy and the girl that everybody was like they are the most popular kids mm. so i don't know i think high school was a little bit more democratic i don't know if that's the right way the right word to use but maybe i just wasn't caught up in all of it as much i think maybe by the time i got into high school i was just like oh everybody has their own lane i don't think i was trying that hard to fit into a certain mold Mm. yeah i'm sure there there were maybe i wasn't popular enough to realize (laughs) but like i'm sure there was like the popular boy you know like some of the it definitely existed but maybe it wasn't as overt as like or obvious as it is in well so here's another thing is that like the popular kids in high school they weren't the mean snobby kids I think the most popular kids in my high school were actually the most well-rounded kids. They were the smart kids, but also just super nice and also involved in a lot of extracurricular activities. So those were the popular kids from my idea and memory of high school. I think there was a group of kids who were maybe popular for like the not so great reasons, but I was able to identify the difference and be like, oh, these are like the good popular kids versus like the bad popular kids. Mm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I think so. I think I can visualize that and kind of recall that. High school was a long time ago for both of us. (laughs) Yeah, I think the most popular kids were probably, they did have a little bit of that jock kind of thing, but they weren't Mm -hmm. like the dumb jock. They were like the jock slash class president slash like in honors classes. Right, like the overachievers were kind of the popular kids. Yeah, they were well-liked. To kind of bring it all together, why do you think this movie is so beloved and has such staying power as it does? Um, that's a good question. That's uh, hard to say upon recent viewings. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think earlier I, you know, I rated it a seven point two or something like that, and it was boosted for nostalgia's sake. So it's probably, if I were to just freshly view this, it probably would be, it would definitely be lower than that. So. During that 90s time, I guess this period of movie and when we saw it because we related to, maybe because we were in high school, we related to the themes and the things better, maybe more naive and less knowledge, less cynical about the world and relationships and stuff. I think I think ultimately, though, what really holds the movie together is what we've touched upon, like the chemistry of the characters is all really good. They cast it really well, so you grow to like most of the characters, at least all the other times I viewed. I liked, you know, I had a huge crush on Larissa Olenek, so I liked her for that reason. Cameron, I didn't realize was as bratty. Kat, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about how Kat and Patrick Verona are charming and very likable overall. And a lot of the side characters, you know, like, are, are play their parts perfectly, like Joey's plays his role perfectly michael is is awesome um the dad is great in his scene you've talked about i think you told me that the teacher is one of your favorite characters oh yeah 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 i forgot to touch on mr morgan yeah yeah alice and janie pre-west wing yeah just they're little quirky characters and little parts and it all kind of builds this world that they do really well and the chemistry between everyone is believable and i think it makes it endearing in a way and you kind of root for everyone Yeah, I agree with you. I think so much of it is the cast. And I think the reason it holds even more weight, uh, for lack of a better word, is just that the cast is still somewhat relevant. I mean, it's just a fun fact I have written down here that Julia Stiles, Larissa Olenek, and JGL were all 18 when this movie came out. Heath Ledger was 20. David Krumholtz, who plays Michael, was 21. And then Gabrielle Union, who plays Chastity, was actually 27. 
So she was like a full decade older than the rest of the cast. Yeah. That makes it like uh, at least they were casting people that were roughly high school. Because if they're like 18-ish, you know, 20, 21 is, I guess, older than that age. But, right. you know, nowadays there's a whole joke of there's a period of time where they're casting like 25-year-olds <laughs> that are <laughs> clearly not high schoolers. Totally. To your point, I think I appreciated the fact that they were all high school-aged actors playing their parts. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on if this movie has aged well? Uh, it's hard to say. I think it could still hold up, or a modern version you could see, um, with cell phones. Yeah, I think cell phones, social media would have a very different play if this movie were done today. But I don't think there are any like off-color jokes. Like It's pretty wholesome, more or less. There's actually only one line in, in specific that uh, caught out to me, or um, stood out to me. I actually don't think they played this line on cable because it hasn't aged well. So it's the scene where Bianca is trying to convince Kat to either go to the party or like do something so that she can go out with Joey. Mm -hmm. And Kat's like barging up the stairs in the house, like get over it. Mm -hmm. And Bianca's retort is that, can't you just find a blind retard to date? Oh, wow. And... I saw that and I was like, oh, no, you can't say that anymore. You know, like, I think on cable, I think they bleep that out now. But because I saw this on Disney Plus, I was able to, like, see it uncensored. Yeah, Uh, that's so interesting. (laughs) I never really thought about that because uh, definitely that's a term that you would hear all the time. And yeah, when we were in high school, I guess points that I just thought of now that you brought that up is like, a diversity cast. I guess they do cast um, Gabrielle Union and the teacher, both in people as people of color. But then there's also the aspect that probably that suburb in Seattle is super white. Yeah. So it's very realistic. Maybe it's accurate. From my friends that have moved there within the last 10 years, they were like, yeah, it's, it's pretty white here. So in the 90s, maybe even more so. So <laughs> accuracy perhaps not so far off. Right. The Pacific Northwest is very white from my experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, to your point, maybe that's just an accurate depiction of Seattle in the 90s. Yeah. But I do want to give a shout out to Mr. Morgan, the high school English teacher, because his whole bit is acknowledging how privileged and how white the students are. You know, he's like, what is your, Mm -hmm. what do you have to complain about, Kat? And then, like, there's, like, white Rastafarians in the class as well. And he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, you can sit down. Yeah. And his just, like, flat-out disdain for Joey is just hilarious. So, yeah, that's he's my favorite side character. Yeah, I think, to that point, like, some of the messages and themes definitely hold up. So, in that sense, it's aged well. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a strong feminist character without actually naming that she's like, oh, I'm super feminist. She just is a strong female character, right, right, that believes certain things. And maybe they would push that more. They didn't have to portray her as this, like, stereotype of a feminist, or maybe she is the stereotype. I'm not really sure, actually. So when this movie came out, I didn't get that. Those weren't the vibes I got from Kat at all. And then, like, rewatching it, I'm like, oh, I'm obviously more aware of it. It wasn't an obnoxious, overt theme of Kat. Do you know what I mean? It was just... No, I don't I don't think so at all. Yeah. She was more well-rounded than... It wasn't just like, she's this thing. We need to like have this caricature of a feminist character. She was like right. a person. Yeah. So I guess I guess we've determined that movies aged pretty decently. And yeah. Thematically, anyway. Thematically, yes. I know we talked about that um, there was a TV show version of this movie, and I think it lasted like one season. Mm. I don't think that this movie needs to be touched and be redone... I feel like Hollywood should also just keep movies the way they are a lot of the time. And this is an example (laughs) of one of those. Like, they don't need to make it again. Yeah, I think it holds up on its own. I, at the same time, I I do think they could remake it into some modern way. You could see, like, the self-absorbed character with her cell phone taking selfies. You know, they could do a whole thing with that. I could see them modernizing it, but I don't think that necessarily would really add I feel like you can see it happening without that. So it, it still pertains and, and holds up in that sense. Right, right. Um, so I know you and I both enjoy reading IMDb trivia section. So I'm just going to call out a few points of trivia here. Ten things 
was released the same weekend as The Matrix. So that kind of hopefully gives you an idea of like the time in which we were when this movie came out. Yeah. So 10 Things was rated or was ranked number two at the box office after The Matrix. Mm. And Andrew Keegan didn't know how to draw genitals for the scene in the cafeteria and David Krumholtz had to teach him. And I don't know why that bit of trivia always makes me laugh a little bit because I know we didn't really talk too much about Andrew Keegan, the actor, but I had such a crush on him. I think he was my Larissa Olenek to you because he was just this pretty boy. And I can't even recall what movies I've seen of him like back before yeah, 10 Things. He, he actually is very familiar, though. Like I feel like you've seen him in a lot of things. I, yeah, and he hasn't really done anything super mainstream from from my knowledge. And I wonder how, I wonder what he's up to. I think I read recently that he's actually like the leader of a cult or something. So oh. yeah, I, I think this movie is just a nice, a nice snapshot of my like 15 year old self who still found Andrew Keegan incredibly attractive. So mm-hmm. Do you see him now and still think he's incredibly attractive? So I started, um, this was like recently, I looked him up on Instagram just to see like what he's up to, but I don't really have any feelings about him now, but I just remember my feelings about him when I was a teenager. Mm. Yeah, I guess I don't, yeah, even though I had a crush on Bianca then, I see it now and she's just that character, I don't. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think we can wrap it up. Do you have any last thoughts or takes of the movie? Yeah, I still has a soft spot in my movie and my heart for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and um, nostalgia always lets me, like I see it on the plane and I'll, I'll watch part of it, if not the whole thing a lot of times, even though I objectively think it's a worse movie than I used to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about it brings comfort, you know, it's just so familiar. It just kind of brings you back to your childhood in a good way. And I think that's what this movie also means to me. Like, it's not some masterpiece of a movie, but it's comforting to see like baby face Joseph Gordon-Levitt and a Julia Stiles before she became Julia Stiles. So yeah, I agree. I think uh, to your point of earlier of like aging well, because partially because we come to know these actors like maybe we wouldn't if it was the same movie and we had the same affinity for it back then but then these actors didn't exist in our lives now would we still have it hold it as high maybe maybe not i think that does add a little bit it's kind of cool it's like a time capsule been like oh yeah this is where i first saw them Mm, yeah time capsule is a nice way of putting it my one last take is that i wish there was more alice and janney in the movie i wish I know we've talked at length about how we love CJ Craig from the West Wing, but her character is just so wacky in this movie. I wish that they had utilized her a little bit more. But yeah, I think this movie holds up for me still. um, And I thank you for going on this journey with me of breaking this movie down. And hopefully you can join me for more in the future. Yeah, I've seen way too many rom-coms, so... I'm I'm sure we'll have another opportunity. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to all who are listening in to Romcom Weekly. Stay tuned for another episode next week. Bye.